Take your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, we're looking at verses 4 through 17 this morning. The gift of provision. Before we get into the, the, the message and the, uh, the memory verse here, let me uh, encourage you to be a part of our connect groups that meet on Sunday morning at 9.15. So if you're coming here at 10.30, just get here an hour and 15 minutes early. If you get here an hour and a half early, you can have coffee and donuts before you go. If you get here at 9.15, we'll still give you the coffee and donuts, but you've got to take them and go to the class. But let me encourage you to be a part, especially if you're a church member. Uh, the, the, the purpose of our connect groups is spiritual growth. That's why we call them connect groups, connecting to God and each other. That's our intent, our, our vision behind them. Spiritual growth is a part of it, but interpersonal growth is a part of it as well. If you only come to worship on Sunday morning, you're not going to connect as well or as quickly or as easily with other people in our church than you will if you uh, come to a small group. But for church members especially, attending a connect group or some sort of one of our small groups is a requirement for leadership. Why am I bringing that up now? Well, because our volunteer selection committee is trying to fill committee positions right now. And one of the difficulties we have is that there aren't that many of you that come to connect groups or help in Awana or are part of a D group or teach Sunday school. We uh, are struggling to find people because that is one of the requirements. And to be on any committee that has to do with money, you have to be a giver to the general fund of the church. Truth is, some of our committees have people on them that don't do those things, and we're going to have to correct that uh, because we've got people who don't come to uh, connect group, aren't a part of anything but the Sunday morning worship hour, and we've got people who are on financial parts of the committees and they don't give to the general fund. So we're going to have to make those corrections. So there are a number of reasons for you to be involved in connect groups, uh, spiritual growth, interpersonal growth, and being a part of the leadership of our church. So there's my uh, commercial for connect groups this morning. Our memory verse is John, oh, that might be part of the part of the memory part. Yeah, uh, I almost said the wrong thing. Let's go through our memory verse. With me now, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John 1:14. All right, I, I heard some struggles there. So uh, get your little uh, your memory verse bookmark on the tables in the, in the cafe and uh, on the Connection Center. And usually you can find some laying around in here, too. Genesis chapter 2, verses 4 through 17. Chapter 2 of Genesis is a retelling of chapter 1, but with a different focus. Now, depending on who you read, it, it, it may be that the order is different. It, are they telling things? Uh, are, are they intentionally getting something, some things out of order or in a different order? We talked about two weeks ago with the creation story that there, there may not be, even the order that we have, the purpose is not to have it uh, chronological. 
in order. It's a, a broader purpose than that. There are numerous places throughout the Bible where they tell the story of something that is true in a way that serves a specific purpose in the telling. It, it can be true uh, and not be literal. I actually had this discussion on Facebook with some folks this week. Uh, for example, Jesus was literally a man. Jesus was figuratively a lamb. But it is a true statement to say Jesus was both a man and a lamb. See how that works? Well, the creation act could be that way too. My goal is not to create doubt in your mind about Scripture. As a matter of fact, it's the opposite. When we go to Scripture and something is confusing, doesn't seem to make sense, doesn't seem to fit on first or second or third reading, doesn't seem to mesh, that's when we begin to wonder, well, what's Scripture doing? So we have to read Scripture correctly. We have to read Scripture well. We have to listen to those people that have studied the, the creation myths uh, that were going on around the Bible at this time or around the Israelites at this time when Moses was writing, writing it. We have to understand the words, stuff that, frankly, even I don't have the knowledge for. I've got to go to the experts on it and see what does, what does this mean. And then when we read Scripture correctly, when we read Scripture as if we were hearing it from the perspective of those to whom it was written, we begin to see it in a totally different way. Because clearly, when Moses wrote this, chapter 1, then chapter 2, even if there seems to be some order differences, or you go, well, how does that work with what he said there? Moses would not have intentionally written something contradictory. And the people who were listening to him at the time would have heard it and gone, Moses, why did you say this and not say that? Or, or why did you say this in the first chapter and this in the second chapter, or whatever they called them. They didn't call them chapters. First page, second page. Well, he would have either been able to explain it, or they would have never questioned it because it would have made perfect sense to them. Remember, we are from this writing some 4,000, 3,500 years removed from hearing it in context. So, I never, ever, ever want to create doubt. I, my goal is for us to understand Scripture better and to remove doubt. Because I believe that the Scriptures are inerrant. That we have exactly what we need. That it is perfect. And what it says is true. We just have to understand what they were saying. So, it may be that when Moses writes chapter 2, he is telling it in a different order because the order didn't matter, the, the message mattered. Um, a, a perfect example, uh, I think, uh, and, and I'm, unless you're an English teacher, you have probably never read this story. Uh, most of y'all know who William Faulkner is, right? Does some of y'all know who William Faulkner is? Oh, thank, thank you. I appreciate that, that your senior English teacher did do something for you. All right. How many of you are familiar with the story by him called A Rose for Emily? Anybody? At a... Oh, good. I, I, is, uh, all right. All right. The only reason I know is because I had a class in college where I had to perform literature. 
and it's just as boring as it sounds. Um, I made good grades, but uh, it was, you had to take a, a, a piece that wasn't written for stage, and you had to perform it, and the one I performed was, and it was reciting, is all it was, again, terribly boring, uh, it was A Rose for Emily, and I'm not going to give it away, because you need to find it, and you need to read it, because that is some messed up stuff, okay, um, but he wrote it completely out of order. So that when you finally get to the end, you realize, oh my goodness, I knew this the whole time and didn't realize it. it was, it's brilliant writing, but chronologically it's out of order because he was proving a point. It, the, 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 the telling of what happened, now it's a fictional story, so it's a little different from what we're talking about now. But the order he told it made the point that he was trying to make. Guys that wrote scripture, inspired by the Holy Spirit, did the same thing. I'm going to tell this story, this is what happened, but I'm going to tell it in a way that proves a point. Now, after saying all of that, it could actually be that chapter 2 is in the same order. It's not out of order at all, but he's not telling everything as... uh, he didn't tell everything that happened in chapter 1, and now he's filling out some moments uh, from chapter 1 as he tells it in chapter 2. Again, he's telling it for a different purpose. No contradictions, just our lack of understanding due to context or not reading well. Again, I'm going to say this every week through Christmas. Remember that God is the focus. He is the purpose of all this that's going on. We're going from that universal, that, uh, uh, that general, to the particular, the specific. And this is just part of the telling now as God narrows down the story. He has created everything. He's ended his work, he's, he's rested, he has provided for our rest, for our worship, and now we've gone from all of creation, even at the end of chapter 1, he singles out humanity and, and, and the difference there, because everything was good, humanity was very good. Well, now he is going to narrow it even further, and he's going to talk about the creation of humanity. For the original hearer, again, re, Think about hearing it for the first time. Depending, again, on where, when Moses wrote it, if he presents this knowing that he is about to die, he's wanting to write all this down so the story lives on, so the, they can teach their children as they are commanded to do, he's probably presenting this to Aaron and, and Joshua and others at the end of his life. And if so, then I imagine they are standing camped at the, on the east side of the Jordan River waiting to go into the promised land. Abra, uh, Moses can't go. He's, he has uh, been denied that privilege because of some of his disobedience in the past. The rest of them are going to. He has seen it. He has been to the mountaintop and he has seen the promised land, but he doesn't get to cross over into it. And so the, the readers, the hearers of this for the first time are standing there on the Jordan and they, are, they realize that it's, it's part of the story. This part of the story, this creation of humanity, 
is part of the story of how they got to the edge of the Jordan River, waiting to go into their Eden, the promised land. There, it is a redoing, albeit a, a, a less than perfect redoing of the creation story of humanity in Eden. He is telling them, you're about to go to your garden, the garden of the promised land. Don't forget why we're here in the first place, what got us here. Don't forget how God began humanity with provision and provided then in the desert as we wandered and roamed for 40 years, sending manna and quail, and their clothes didn't wear out. God is a God of provision. Our big idea this morning is through God's gift of provision, He has given us everything we need for life, physical and spiritual. One of the gifts of God is that He has provided all that we need. How many of us have all that we want? Probably none of us. How many of us have everything we need? Looking around and I'm thinking all of us. God has provided all of that. Read verses 4 through 17 with me from Genesis chapter 2. These are the records of the heavens and the earth concerning their creation. At the time that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, no shrub of the field had yet grown on the land, and no plant of the field had yet sprouted. For the Lord God had not made it rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. But mist would come up from the earth and water all the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man out of the dust from the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, and the man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had formed. The Lord God caused to grow out of the ground every tree, pleasing in appearance and good for food, including the tree of life in the middle of the garden, as well as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river went out from Eden to water the garden. From there it divided and became the source of four rivers. The name of the first is Pishon, which flows through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. Gold from that land is pure. Bdellium and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is Gihon, which flows through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is Tigris, which runs east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to watch over it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. God's gift of provision. Verses 4 through 6 show us the provision of a blank slate. Moses summarizes everything that's happened in the first chapter by saying, these are the records of the heavens and the earth. It's interesting he uses the phrase records. It's actually genealogy. He's going to use this a bunch of times in the first few chapters of uh, Genesis. And it's how he shows we're entering a new uh, section of the story. But he's saying these are the generations, the same. Every other time he uses generations to mean 
who had this child and who that child had and who that child had. And he's talking about generations of people. But right now he's talking about the generations of the heavens and the earth. What came after that? What God did after that? He is really here describing what it was like before sin. We as humanity in the creation of Adam and Eve, which in the story we haven't gotten there yet, or in this retelling of the story we haven't gotten to yet, this is a blank slate. The, the, The future was bright. Everything was clear and clean, and as we are going to see, it was innocent. And God says, uh, through Moses, At the time the Lord God made the heavens and the earth, no shrub of the field had yet grown in the land, and no plant of the field had yet sprouted. There, there There was nothing. Now, here's where we discuss, is it, what is the order? Because we know he created vegetation on the third day, and then humanity on the sixth So, vegetation came before man, so is he talking about here that everywhere there was vegetation and in the garden there wasn't anything yet, that it had not grown up? Possibly. The phrasing he uses here actually is the same phrase he's going to use later as a part of the curse. When he says that briars and thistles will grow up and you will have to plant fields to live in. So regardless of the the order and what has and hasn't grown, it is fairly clear that he is saying before anything got messed up, before sin had entered the world, before the decision of Eve and Adam had been made to eat of the fruit that they shouldn't have, everything was great. The, the, The slate was blank. There, there were no issues. No plant of the field had yet sprouted. The Lord God had not made it rain, and there was no man to work the ground. It was perfect. It was the way it should have been. Verse 6, mist would come up. It's probably a better, uh, a better translation. It would be a spring came up. It bubbled up out of the ground and, and spread out and formed rivers. So there would be be water on the ground, and different folks read different things here. Well, man needed to irrigate, because they did that in this culture, in this area. They they had to irrigate to both control the flooding and use the flooding to water their crops. The point being that right now, everything was fine. In verse 7, God provides living breath. Now, he's already distinct, uh, made a distinction between the creation of everything else and man by saying the creation of man is very good. Well, now he is even uh, creating even a greater distinction. So all this is, is going on. This blank slate exists. Uh, he has created the heavens and the earth, and, and now he bends down and forms the man out of the dust from the ground. We're going to see that later on when he describes the the how he created uh, animals, he also formed them from the ground. But in in creating man, we get 
more intimacy. He, he formed the animals, but he formed man, that one special creation. And then next week when we get to the creation of Eve, we find that it was even more of a special creation because he, didn't, uh, he used part of man to do it. it it's, it's a different tone as he creates. But even if we just say, yeah, we're dirt and animals are dirt, you wouldn't be wrong. But the real specialness comes with a living breath. See, this is a more involved creative act, and it is a more intimate enlivening of this mass of mud that he has sculpted, that he has created. Animals have breath and they live, but they don't have God's breath. There, there's an intimacy here that it says when he breathed into his nostrils, it's, 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 it's I mean, you know, the, the, the corpse is laying there. And God goes face to face and breathes into that corpse. And it comes alive. There's something different here. Something special. Something set apart from the animals. Would we call it a soul or a spirit? Well, it says man became a living soul, but we get into the the depths of what Hebrew language means when it speaks of body and soul and what the Greeks meant and then what the New Testament meant and we we chase a lot of rabbits down a lot of holes. But what we do know is that there is something about humanity that communes with God that animals don't get. There is nothing to save in an animal. There is no soul, no spirit that will live for eternity. They're, they live, they get eaten or they don't, and then they die. Well, most of them die after you eat them, or probably before. But anyway, you get the point. And then they're gone. Not so with humans. There is a life a breath within us that is straight from God, that communes with God, that longs for God, and that has the potential, because of his provision, to spend an eternity with God. We're different. Word for breath here is the only word that's ever used for God and man. When he speaks of animals having the breath of life, Moses uses a different word. There is something special about this breath. Go back to sermons, the beginning. God created us for relationship. And that's going to next week. He created us specially. He created us special because he wants to have a relationship. So there is something about us 
that longs for him and yearns for him. That is what he put in us. This is not the whole image of God that we bear, but I believe it is at least a part of the image of God that we bear as humanity. Because we have something no other part of his creation has. And that thing connects us to him. Verse 8, the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he planted the man, he placed rather, the man that he had formed. We see the provision of meeting. We find out later in chapter 3 that it was God's habit to meet with Adam and Eve in the garden. This was a place of meeting. Now, it's interesting the language. We talk about the Garden of Eden as if Eden were the garden. This is just one of those things that when you, as you read Scripture and, and, and read it not carefully as if we don't, but reading it with some other people that have learned more than me, you find out that the Garden and Eden were actually two different places. But this isn't that surprising. Remember what I said about God's creation of the universe and how he came to rest on the seventh day. He, he sat. He, he was enthroned. Psalms tells us that the heavens are his throne and the earth is his footstool. He, he sat. He rested. He took his place. And when a deity, when God sits on his throne, that is his position uh, to be worshipped. Universal, particular. God created Eden. And just outside of Eden is a garden. A place where God met Adam and Eve. The, the telling of this, if we were to draw it out, is going to end up looking very similar to what both the tabernacle and the temple had in their holy of holies, and just outside of that, the holy place. No one would go into the holy of holies except once a year, the priest would go in with the sacrifice. But the holy place was where they would go and worship. A few would. Where God would meet. God was actually in the Holy of Holies. His Spirit came down there. The Shekinah glory came down and rested there. But they would go and worship Him in that holy place where there was a menorah. And the menorah was the tree of life. That's what it represented. And there was a table with bread on it. That bread represented God's provision of food, which we see in the garden just outside of Eden. In the east, it says, right? The Lord God planted a garden in Eden, but in the east. And there he placed the man he had formed. God had created, God had provided a way for him to meet with humanity. In this not holy of holies, not where God always dwelt, but in the place where he would go to meet them. From the beginning, God wanted to be with us. 
He did not create us to be alone. He did not create us to be without Him. He created us to have a relationship with Him. And that was the way He planned it out. I'm going to set aside a place, a garden, where I'm going to meet with you from the very beginning. Well, we end up messing that up, but let's, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Verse 9 The Lord God caused to grow out of the ground every tree pleasing in appearance and good for food. The provision of food, right? The Holy of Holies, the the table of bread showed the the God's provision of food. The priests actually ate that bread. That was God providing. God, from the beginning, provided food. It was all over the place. You couldn't walk without bumping into something good to eat. And these were things that didn't have to be cultivated. That didn't have to be, uh, the ground didn't have to be plowed up. It says, he watered the garden. It's going to tell us that in just a minute. He took care of the watering. He took care of the reproduction. The seeds fell. It grew up. You had more. It was going to grow with humanity, I assume. They had all that they needed to eat. God thinks of everything. When God says, do and go and and be, and and when he gives a command and we think, well, Lord, I want to do what you tell me to do. Don't get me wrong. But how will I eat? How will anything that I think needs to be done get done? And he says, let's go back to the beginning. You didn't have anything that I didn't provide. And I provided everything you needed. So when we read scripture, when the folks are standing on the banks, the eastern banks of the Jordan River, ready to go into the promised land, they remember the story that God provided Everything from the beginning. How are we going to... That was the question, right? 40 years earlier. Man, grape clusters that are huge, land flowing with milk and honey. But they're tough, y'all. We can't beat them. God provided. God was going to provide if they had just been obedient. And 40 years later, when they begin to go into the promised land, He still provides. And He's still providing today. Verse 9b, including, of all the trees that he planted, the tree of life in the middle of the garden, as well as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God provided innocence. God said, you are going to be, you're not going to know right from wrong. They didn't. They didn't know good and evil. They didn't understand. They, they, we're going to talk about this a little bit more later. They didn't have moral autonomy. And that would be great if we didn't know right from wrong. If we didn't have to concern ourselves with what was right and what was wrong. God provided that. They were childlike as it relates to morality. And we, we see this when we read a little further, and once they sinned, they realized they were naked and ashamed. 
How many of you have ever known a two-year-old that cared whether it was dressed or not? As a matter of fact, the only thing they care about usually is not being dressed if they can help it. Because they don't care. They got no idea that we got to cover that up. That was Adam and Eve. That was humanity. Innocence. Complete and total innocence. God provided that. That was a gift. Innocence. We read on. Verses 10 through 14 about the rivers that flowed and the, the, the gems and, and jewels and the fertile lands. God provided beauty or bounty and beauty. That's the, the, the idea here in this passage. We know two of those rivers. The other two, nobody knows where they are. They're not mentioned in any other place. Uh, one is mentioned as an area, but not a river. So we don't know what he, they meant, by, or what Moses meant by that. But the original hearers did. Some folks think that it's, it's the idea of the, the all-encompassing rivers around the, the, the world. He, he, uh, you had Eden between the Tigris and Euphrates, and you had these larger rivers that were uh, sort of mythological in that day, uh, this idea that the world was surrounded, maybe even by just the waters of, say, the Mediterranean and other large waters, and that's what they represented, or they might have been tributaries. There are some tributaries that don't exist anymore, and all right, great, great conversation to have, but what we see is that there was so much, it was all taken care of, and it was beautiful, See, God cared first that they had everything that they needed, but God cares that it is beautiful, that they have beauty. We see that. The psalmist tell, tells us that the, all of the heavens declare his glory. You see, hear anybody that goes to a, a somewhere that's generally not flat, and covered in water, and, and they'll talk about the majesty of the Rockies or the Grand Canyons, or if people have been to the Alps and, uh, in Europe, or they, that you go somewhere and you go, man, God is just incredible. Here, you, you, you cross the, the Chafalaya Basin at, at sunset, and, and you see the, the, the outline, dark outlines of the uh, cypress with the moss hanging in it, and, and, and you see the beauty of God's creation, and you are in awe of, of what He does. That's intentional. That's not accidental. That's part of how He created us to appreciate that. God provides bounty and beauty. And lest we think we were created to just sit around and do nothing, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to watch over it. We had to work, even when we were sinless, even when we were innocent. God provided work. Folks, work is a good thing and a blessing. Now, work is different from the toil that's a part of the curse. We'll get there in chapter 3. But work was part of the original plan. Now, let's 
take your little, what was the uh, little picture thing when we were kids we looked through? Viewmaster. And the picture changed. Hit your Viewmaster and think of the temple again. Let's go back and see Eden as a temple, the, the Eden as the holy of holies, the garden as the holy place just outside it. The, the words that Paul, Paul, the words that Moses uses here for um, to work it and watch over it, work is actually the word service, to serve. And uh, watch over means to maintain. Interestingly enough, this is the same language that the, that's used for the Levites for their job in the temple. To serve and to maintain. To work and to watch over. Hmm. It also should lead you to think of Romans 12, 1. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in the view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable or pleasing to God. This is your true, some places say worship, some say service, and some say work. Because those words go hand in hand in Scripture. So in providing work for Adam and eventually Eve and all of humanity, God is providing a meeting place. God is providing worship. Verse 8 and 15. It's the provision of worship. Go back to 8. The Lord God planted the garden, Eden in the east, placed the man. Verse 15. Work it, service and watch over it. Maintain it. We were created. I'm going to say it again this week. And I'll say it again next week. For relationship. We are created for relationship ultimately and foremost with God. And it was all part of his plan to put us in a place to worship him. To meet with him. Number nine, a provision of freedom. Verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree of the garden. You're free. Anything here. Let's get back to the two year old that's running around naked. All right. You can play with anything over here. Don't touch this. What's two-year-old want more than anything in life? The thing you told him not to touch. Well, that's that sin nature coming out, okay? Let's, we, we, he was born with it. He's innocent, but he's got the nature, so it, it's going to come out. But originally, that wasn't the plan. We were given freedom. We were given abundant life in the garden. We were told, you can have anything here. It's all yours. Wow. Don't want to spoil it, but then told you can't have something else. They were all. But I want it all. We are never, 
happy with freedom, sadly. When Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. What he's saying is, if you will follow me, if you will trust me, if you will place your faith in me and do everything that I tell you, you will have abundant life. You will have freedom. And what do we do? That's great, but I want all this sin too. No, that's not the way it works. But that's what we do. And so God provided boundaries. Verse 17. Provision of boundaries. Yes, boundaries are a provision. The truth is, I don't think we can have, and I'm not a philosopher, and there may be philosophers out there that would argue with me, and, and they probably, they'd, they'd probably convince me I was wrong. But at this moment right now, I do not believe we can have freedom without boundaries. Because freedom without boundaries, tells us nothing about what we are free from or free for. So they only knew their true freedom when they knew that there was a boundary. And a boundary is always a provision. When God says don't touch, that is for our good. When God says don't go there, that is for our good. When God says, mm-mm, it's hot, don't mess with it, that is for our good. And yet, we think, well, he's just trying to keep us from being free. When in fact... We have been freed to be free in Christ. We know the provision of Jesus. We know the freedom. And yet we use our freedom to exceed our boundaries all the time. God provided those boundaries. And as free as we are in Christ, we've got this whole flesh thing that still binds us. And so, God sets up boundaries and says, don't go there, don't touch that. And chapter 3, we'll get there. We say, but, oh, it's so pleasing and did God really say? Well, we ask that today. Some of you ask, are asking that right now. Some of you aren't truly free because you are a slave to sin. And apart from Christ, you are a slave to sin. And your question is, did God really say? Now, you're not thinking it that way. You're thinking it along the lines of, I don't need that. But what you're saying is, did God really say the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ? A relationship with Him? Well, let's, let's go back real quick. God provided everything. He created you. He provided 
everything that you needed. The beginning, it was a blank slate. He gave you the very breath that you breathe. He has provided an opportunity for you to meet with him. He gives you the food that you eat. He has given you the opportunity for innocence. You are at least aware of that fact. He has provided bountifully for you. He has provided beauty for you. He has given you the gift of work, though because of sin now we toil at it. He has provided you the opportunity to worship him. He has shown you what freedom can be. He has given you the boundaries that are to hold you within certain areas that are for your good. And you asked, yeah, but do I really need him? You've got nothing without him. So I ask you, why would you not listen to him now when he says you're not free unless you're in Christ? Yes, Jesus is the only way. There's a boundary. And without Christ, you are outside the boundary. You're outside the holy place. You're outside the garden. Chapter 3. They no longer met with him and they were kicked out into the wilderness. Separated from God. Right now, without Jesus, you are outside the garden, in the wilderness, separated from God. And the only response that will get you freedom, that will get you abundant life, that will return you to that state of innocence. I'm still, I'm still a sinner. Yeah, yeah, but when you are clean, when you are free, you are free indeed. When Christ has set you free, when he has washed you clean, you're white as snow. When you've accepted Christ, your innocence is not your innocence, it's Christ's innocence imputed to you, covering you. When God looks at you as you after you have accepted Christ, he sees the blood of his son, he does not see your sinfulness. You can have that innocence that innocent standing before God. Because God has provided everything you need for life and holiness. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. Chapter 3, we're getting there, hold on. Chapter 3 of Genesis tells us the wages of sin is death. Romans 6.23 tells us again the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God, the gift under the tree, except the tree was shaped like that. And, and the gift was actually on it. I've always wondered about the Christmas song. That says, and presents on the tree. I'll be home for Christmas, right? That's the song. And I just, as a kid, I was like, that's dumb. We don't put presents on the tree. I don't think the author of that song had this in mind. But the greatest gift, the gift of God, was on the tree. Not under it. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's yours.
The gift is yours. It's been provided. Will you receive the gift? I can tell you that I have $1 million for each and every one of you today. Got it sitting right up here behind the rail in, in, in boxes each for each one of you. It's yours. All you have to do is come and get it. And if you walk out those doors, is that gift yours? It's been provided. It is not yours until you take it. Will you receive the gift? There's no million dollars. Got something better. Yeah, better than a million dollars. How about eternity? How about forgiveness? How about Jesus? Let's pray. Father, thank you that your greatest gift of all the things that you have provided is your son. Lord, if we tried to count it all and and lay it all out and, and list it, we would never come up with the things that you have given us. But Lord, we cannot... That list would be worthless in comparison to the fact that you provided salvation through your Son. God, I pray for those here this morning who are listening online who don't know the the freedom they can have, the abundant life in Christ, that they're outside the garden. Their sin has separated them from you. I pray this morning they will trust Christ as their Savior, repent of their sins, turn to Him, and experience the freedom, the innocence and all that you have for us in that abundant life that you've promised. God, I thank you this morning for the believers who are here that are experiencing that abundant life. Lord, I pray for those that, for whom right now life does not appear to be that abundant. There are those times. But you haven't changed. Our situations may have, but you have not. You are still the God who provides everything we need for life and holiness. God, I pray that you'd use this next few minutes to speak to our hearts, to draw us to you, and Lord, to draw one lost sinner. I pray for more than that, but I'll take one who will respond in faith, believe in their hearts that Jesus is Lord, and confess with their mouth, that uh, trust with their, believe in their hearts that Jesus is Lord, and confess with their mouths that you have raised him from the dead. God, work in this place this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. If you believe in your hearts that God has raised him from the dead, and tr- tr- I'm going to get this wrong. Could you help me out, please? Raise him for you. Thank you, because I tried, I don't know how many times to get that right and messed it up. What is your decision this morning? You need to accept Christ You'd like to join our church? Do you need to do what Briley did this morning and follow in obedience and baptism? Whatever it is, now's your time to make that decision. I will be down here on the front uh, to my right. Chelsea will be over here to my left. We've got a couple of deacons in the back, Justin in the back. We had, any of us would love to pray with you about a decision you want to make. Whatever decision you need to make, need to make public this morning, you can do that. 
or maybe you want to connect with us on a connection card in the pew uh, or in the chair backs, or you would just like to message us on Facebook, send us a text, whatever. Let us know what God's doing, and let's take these few minutes to let him work with you and in us. Let's stand, sing, do business with him this morning. Thank you.